very beginning, God created Adam and Eve and he put them in the garden. To do what? To take care of the garden, to protect it, uh, to watch over the animals and to work the field. But I believe the highlight of every day, it doesn't say so in Genesis chapter 2, but it says in Genesis chapter 3 that the Lord went out in the cool of the day to walk in the garden. So most likely before Adam and Eve sinned, I believe the highlight of every day was what? It was for Adam and Eve to actually walk with God. Imagine this, to actually walk in the presence of God. Now the story begins in the garden, it ends in the city. Revelation chapter 21, 22 tells us about the new Jerusalem. But l listen to this, even there, what is, it's not, whether it's a garden or a city, that's not important. And I believe actually it will be both, heaven. What is important is in Revelation chapter 21, it says, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. He will live with them. So it's, it's, it's being in the presence of God. Believers of old walked with God. Genesis chapter 12. God tells Noah, uh, so Noah, Abraham, he tells him, go, leave your father's house, your town, your city, follow me. The word go is actually the same word as to walk. So in the Hebrew language, walk, go, come, all one word. Depends on the context. Most of the times, actually, it simply means to go or to come. But sometimes it means to walk. Because when you walk, you go somewhere, don't you? So he tells Abraham to go. He tells him, Genesis chapter 17, walk before me. Walk before me and be blameless. That's God's desire for us as believers is that we would walk with God, that we walk before God, which also means to be blameless. Genesis chapter 48, this is Jacob blessing Joseph's sons. He says, may the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked. Now the patriarchs of old, these men of the faith, what defined them is that they were men who walked before God. As we're talking about discipleship, one characteristic of a healthy disciple that we believe is a person who learns to walk with God. Now we talked about this in our meetings with elders and we came up with three characteristics. We said it, it means that we are men of prayer. It means that uh, we are men who pursue holiness. He's talking about blamelessness here, same thing, holiness or blamelessness. And it means that we learn to be, live a life of faith. The example I want to draw from this morning is actually the life of Noah. There's Enoch as well in Genesis chapter 5, which says he walked with God and he was taken away. We don't know who Enoch actually was. We don't know much about him. We do know about Noah. So it says three things here about Noah, which line up with this prayerfulness, with this holiness, with this walking or life of faith. So it says Noah was a righteous man, first thing. He was a righteous man. He was blameless among the people of his day literally his generation. He was blameless in his generation. You see, each generation of believers has to learn to live blamelessly before others. So it's how we live righteously 
inside of us, how we live before others. And for our generation, so much of what it means to live blameless today has to do with the device you hold in your hands. Because what you do with your phone, what you do with, your, with the thing you have here, defines holiness as well. So we need to learn as generation today, how do we live before the Lord blamelessly? And thirdly, it says that he walked with God. So there's three, three levels. So when he comes to the self, he was a righteous person. When it comes to others, he lived blamelessly in how others viewed him. There was no blame they could cast at Noah because he was a blameless person. When it comes to his relationship with God, he walked with God. So I'll unpack this a little bit. Um, so a healthy disciple is a righteous person. So last week we looked at, among other things, we talked about Jesus' purpose statement, which is found in Luke chapter 4, which is a quote from Isaiah chapter 61, where Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news, to evangelize the poor. Isaiah 61 then goes on and says, um, they, the ones who hear the gospel, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. So we will be called what? Oaks of righteousness. You see, um, although it says that Noah was a righteous person, it doesn't mean that he was self-righteous. He did not find his righteousness, righteousness in himself. He found his righteousness in trusting and believing in God. And that is what Scripture teaches throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's not our own righteousness. It's the righteousness we're giving, especially through the death and resurrection of Christ Jesus. In the book of Romans, Paul lays out his theology, and he comes to this, this, this conclusion in in, in Romans chapter 3, he says, there's no one who's righteous, not even one. No one. There's never been a person, including Noah, that we could say he was self-righteous. You see, our righteousness is not something that we own in ourselves. It comes from God. So no one has ever been righteous before God. But now, he goes on, now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. It's through faith that we receive the righteousness of God. So when he talks about Noah being a righteous person, it doesn't mean he was a self-righteous person. He had a righteous self. It wasn't a self-righteous person, he had a righteous self because his righteousness was found in Christ Jesus as well. So that's the first one. I'm not going to uh, say much about this. I do want to say a few things about the second characteristics, a healthy disciple, is a person that is blameless. Genesis 17, again, this is the quote that we always looked at. God, uh, say, God saying to Abram, walk before me, be blameless. Walk before me. Live your life of faith before me, which means to be blameless before me. Uh, the, the word is normally used in the Old Testament. Anything that was sacrificed to the Lord, anything that was given to the Lord had to be without defect. Same word, blameless. There could not be any fault in it. So it had to be blameless. However, again, it's not our own righteousness. It's not our own blamelessness that we are blameless in ourselves. There's only one who's truly blameless. Deuteronomy chapter 32 says, He is the rock. Not you. You're standing upon Him, the rock. Jesus is the rock. You build your life upon Him, the firm foundation. He is the rock. His works are 
blameless. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, righteous and just is he. It's not our own righteousness, it's his righteousness. Earlier, we were, uh, we could barely hear because we have some sound issues here. We were reading Psalm 15 uh, at the beginning of our worship service, which asked this excellent question, who may dwell in your presence? Who can actually live before you? The psalmist is asking, who can come into your sanctuary? Who can live on your hill? Meaning, for them it was literally, they're looking at the temple. Who can actually come into your presence, Lord, physically? For us this is spiritual. How can, who, who is allowed to actually be in the presence of the Lord? Ultimately, who will God allow into his presence? Then he goes on, he whose walk is blameless and how, and, and who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart and, and has no slander in his tongue. It's our behavior. But Spurgeon points out in his exp- um, exhortation about this, he's saying imperfection. He's not saying that we are made self-righteous in finding our righteousness before God in what we do. He says, in perfection, this holiness is found only in the man of sorrows, that's Jesus Christ, Only he was truly perfect. It is wrought in all his people by the Holy Ghost. No, I'm sorry. But in a measure, I forgot that. In a measure, to some degree, this holiness keeps growing in us. He works that in us continually. That's the process of sanctification. So God works sanctification in his believers. As we are made righteous, as we proclaim righteous, We are walking with God. We are learning to live a sanctified life, a life of holiness and blamelessness before God. It is wrought in all His people by the Holy Ghost. Faith and the graces of the Spirit are not mentioned here because this is a description of outward character and where fruits are found, the root may not be seen, but it's surely there. So you can assume it's there. The life of faith, it starts with faith. It starts with it having the righteousness of Christ Jesus that we own. And as we own this, and as we learn to live our life in Christ Jesus, blamelessness, holiness, sanctification starts to show up. There was a pastor who who tried to show this in a picture to his congregation. And, And here's what he said. Holiness or blamelessness does not mean sinlessness. It doesn't mean that you're sinless because we still have our human nature, don't we? Our sinful nature is still with us. You still have it, don't you? So it doesn't mean that we're sinless. So to be holy and to be sanctified doesn't mean that we're sinless as such. He says, here's the picture. This is, this is like straw. Straw can always burn. It keeps the characteristics of being able to burn. You just put a match to it, it'll burn. That's the human nature. It will always burn. But if you immerse straw in water, it loses its ability to burn because the water is stronger, of course. Now you can remove the straw out of the water, you can dry it out again, and what will happen? It'll burn again. The picture is this, as long as we immerse ourselves in Jesus, as long as we are immersed in Him, it's His righteousness through which we can learn to live a sanctified life. It's not your righteousness. It's not what you do. It's what he does in us. That's why Jesus told his disciples, 
I'm looking for fruit in you. How do you produce fruit? What was his one thing he told them to do? John chapter 15. Abide in me. Remain in me. That's what you need to worry about. To remain in Christ Jesus, to abide in Christ Jesus. You immerse yourself in him. You lose the ability actually. Well, not the ability, but you don't crave sin. You crave righteousness for yourself. The third one is the one I want to focus in on a little bit because that's the topic of our message is um, a healthy disciple is a person that uh, learns to walk, as it says, he walks be- walk before me, learns to walk with God. It was back in the, I think it was in the early 90s when uh, Henry Blackaby, and now his son Richard um, has joined his ministry as well wrote a study book, and some of you may have done this. It's an excellent study book. It's called Experiencing God. Uh, And the theme, if you can read it there, it says, knowing and doing the will of God. Knowing and doing the will of God. So his purpose is for us to understand what is God's will for my life and how do I do God's will. Excellent study. I think we did it like mid-90s, 97, 98, around that time. We did that study together. So I looked up his website this week. And this is taken from a video, so it's just a quote as he speaks. And he says, I say to you without a question, it is impossible when God encounters you, when you meet with God, for you to stay where you are and go with God at the same time. That's not possible. Because when God moves, he changes something. You've got to change. You cannot say, I follow God and stay the same that you are. You have to adjust. He says, you are going to have to leave something. There is going to have to be some major adjustment in your life. As I, I don't actually have to study anymore, but I remember a couple things from it. I think what, what he just showed is basically just God is on the move. God is always at work. He's always working. You just need to join him. It's not your work. You just have to understand what God is doing. And then you join God in his work, what he is doing. So I did a little study this week, and I think actually the book is, is based on the, on, the, on the life of Jesus from the book of John. And the book of John does not talk about walking so much as it simply talks about Jesus did the will of God. He, Jesus, the doing of Jesus. So we want to focus in on what Jesus did according to the gospel of John. So even at the beginning of his ministry, people noticed Jesus based on his doings, what he did. So John chapter 2 says, people saw the miraculous signs Jesus was doing. Jesus did miraculous signs and they believed in him. Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, uh, no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing unless God were with him. So God is present in your life because you are performing miracles, Jesus. So people notice that, that Jesus, what Jesus was doing, they notice it. Then Jesus in chapter 4, um, he's at, this is the woman at the well. So he gets to Samaria. It's noon. He sends his disciples into the city to buy bread. In the meantime, he talks to this woman at the well. I'm not going to go into the story. So he, he, this woman meets, meets God, you know. Her life is changed, forever changed. The disciples come back to Jesus. They have bought food. Come back to Jesus. 
and say, here's food. Jesus says, I'm not hungry. What do you mean you're not hungry? You just sent us into town to buy food. Did someone else give him something to eat? Did he eat something else? And then Jesus says, my food, my food is not bread alone. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That was his desire. That's how Jesus lived his life. That was, I want to do this. I want to do the will of God. What's your desire? Is your, your life's desire to do the will of God? Because you, um, you cannot really walk with God if you're not wanting to do His will. So it begins with this desire that Jesus expressed. I want to do the will of God. That is my food. That's what I live for. Uh, then he goes on, and this, this, this blows me away in many ways, that Jesus, who is himself is God, you know, Jesus, fully man, fully God, said, I can do nothing. I can't do anything apart from God the Father. Nothing. So John chapter 5, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. By myself, I can do nothing. If Jesus couldn't do anything apart from God, can you? I don't think so. Sometimes we think maybe. But really, what we need to learn is we need to learn to depend on God as Jesus depended on, upon God and, God. and Jesus is God himself. He's God the Son, talking about God the Father and saying, I can't do anything apart from God the Father. Whenever the Father moves, whenever the Father is doing something, I'm just joining in. We're just doing this together. That's what stuck in my mind from the study uh, that we did way over 20 years ago or so. Um, and then he's talking about his work. The work that the Father has given me to finish, which I'm doing, testifies that the Father has sent me. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Then the question, what is his will? What is his will? Then Jesus says in John chapter 6, the work of God is this, believe in the one he sent me. So Jesus points to the Father, the Father, the Father points back to Jesus, you know. They're pointing to each other because they live in such closeness, in such dependence upon each other that Jesus says, I can't move one foot Unless I know that God is going with me, unless I know the Father is leading me, unless I know that He's taking me there, I'm not going to go. That is walking with God in perfection in many ways. Now, I know we're not, that, we're not there, but if Jesus needed that, can you do without it? If Jesus needed this dependence upon the Father, can you do without depending on Him? I guess you can. But you're not really walking with God then. So Jesus then says, the decision is up to you. He's saying, if anyone chooses to do God's will, that's your choice. His, he says, my desire is to, will, to the will of God. And he says in John chapter 7, he says, if anyone, any one of you chooses to do the will of God, you need to make a choice. Do you want to do the will of God? Yes, or no, then you will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. This is how God works. And so many times people always want proof that God exists. God says, I'm, gonna prove it. I'm not going to prove it to you. You just have to, you have to make a choice first. That's a step of faith. Put your trust 
in me, you will find out later. That's how faith works. We want proof. God says, I'm not going to give you proof because it's a journey of faith. Walking with God means to become men and women of the faith. Um, before we get there, so the question then, um, so if Jesus need this, needed this, we need it. So the question becomes, how do we learn to walk with God? How do we learn to do this? Um, to me, it boils down to two things. We need to learn to listen to God, listen to God, listen to his voice, and then we need to do the, voice, uh, the commands of God or, or, or obey. It's listen and obey. I believe that is why in the Ten Commandments, there's only one commandment with a promise. Of all the commandments, only one has a promise. And you're familiar with this. It's a promise that says, children, obey your parents. For this is right. So it may, may go well with you. That's the promise. So you may have a long life. But why is it important? Because as we train up our children to listen and to obey, we are preparing them for a journey. You see, that's what we're doing. We're actually, we're raising them for God. We're teaching them a valuable lesson that says you need to listen, you need to obey, because later we're going to release you, and then you need to learn to listen and to obey to someone bigger than I am. And that's God himself. That's, in many ways, that's what walking with God boils down to, that we learn to listen, hear his voice, and uh, obey. Now, the question is this, that you may be wrestling with. Does God actually speak to me individually? I know he speaks to me through his word. The Bible is God's word. He speaks to us. But does God actually direct our steps? Does God speak into our lives and on an everyday kind of uh, situation? Can God speak to me right now? Can God speak to me later today? Can God actually direct my path to maybe guide me to somewhere where he wants me to go to use me? Does he still do this today? He did it in, this, in scripture, of course. But is he still doing this today? I believe he is. Absolutely. And we need to learn to listen to the voice of God. So um, John Eldridge wrote a book called Walking with God. And it says here, uh, talk to him, hear from him, really. Not just prayer, not just being, we say what is on our hearts, but actually learning to listen to the voice of God, hearing God speak to us, really hear his voice. So John Eldridge set forth on a journey, and I was sometime in the 2000s, he set forth on this journey, and he's a journalist, so he can just take time, I guess, to do this. For a whole year, said, my goal this year, I just want to hear from God. And so he, this is his, his, his experience, uh, this book, he writes down in, in, what he learned from learning to listen to God. So in, in his introduction, he says, our deepest need as human beings is to learn to live intimately with God. It is what we were made for. In Eden, they walked with God. And this, we must recover this walking with God. Page 11, our deepest and most pressing need is to learn to walk with God, to hear His voice, to follow Him intimately. Does God speak to us? I believe He does. Psalm, the, hearing the voice of God, Psalm 28 puts it this way. If you remain silent, God, if you don't speak to me now, if you don't say something, I will be like those who go down to the pit 
NIV says, New Living Translation, I might as well lay down and die. Because my life is from you. If you are silent, if you do not speak to me now, I feel like I'm falling apart. We live. Our life is in, found in Christ Jesus. Message says, if all, we get, if all I get from you is deafening silence, I'd be better off in the black hole. Hearing the voice of God. Does God speak to us even today? As I did a little study on how God speaks to us in the, or spoke back in the Old Testament, I think there's two, uh, two major ways. God sometimes speaks forcefully, very strongly, in a clear and a loud voice. But when he does so, it normally means judgment. When God speaks forcefully, it normally means he is announcing judgment. Sometimes he speaks quietly. And so we need to be able to, to discern the quiet voice of God. Forcefully, um, I'm reminded of Psalm 29. Psalm 29, uh, David uh, describes a thunderstorm that, that is approaching in Psalm 29. Then he goes on and says uh, in verse in 20, Psalm 29, seven times he says, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes and lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The voice of the Lord breaks the oaks. Can you feel the storm? Can you feel how it's approaching? And how the thunder and lightning is, in many ways, he's saying, God is speaking to us through the storm. But again... Most of the time when God speaks in such a way, he's pronouncing judgment. As in uh, Jeremiah 11, he's saying, he's talking about Israel. Israel is like a lovely olive tree. It's a beautiful olive tree. But he, the Lord, will set it on fire with the voice of a mighty storm. So I will judge this lovely olive tree. I will set it on fire because I'm finished with it. With the voice of a mighty storm. And I say in Exodus chapter 9, this is the plagues. This is the plague, plague of the hail. And it says, when um, in the plague of that, that Pharaoh sinned again, when the thunder stopped, Pharaoh sinned again. Literally, it says, when the voice stopped, the voice of the thunder, Pharaoh sinned again. What was God trying to communicate to the Egyptians through the plagues? His majesty who he is. Judgment. Judgment is coming upon Israel. So again, a clear, loud, forceful voice. Uh, Exodus chapter 19, this is uh, Israel at Mount Sinai, and, and God is speaking to the Israelites through the voice of the thunder, uh, of the trumpet, sorry, through the voice of the trumpet. What's the message? Stay where you are. Don't come close. Don't even touch the mountain. If anyone touches the mountain, he will have, surely have to die. So when God speaks loudly, clearly, forcefully, as he normally does in Scripture, or sometimes does, what's the message? Not one that we enjoy hearing because he's pronouncing judgment. But even then, I remember someone speaking on Isaiah chapter 26 verse 8 where it says, walking in the ways of your laws, we wait for you. 
walking in the ways of the, your laws, we wait for you. And I remember him saying, even in the ways of judgment, even if it's judgment, because if God is pronouncing judgment, if he's, if he's judging us, at least you know where you are. And you can change. You can repent. You can come back. You can change your life. The only thing that Psalm 28 says, if you remain silent, if you don't speak, I feel like I'm dying. Jesus says, man does not live from bre by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. We need to hear God speak to us, don't we? And I think the way that God speaks to us, the story for this, of course, is Elijah. Elijah, who had just defeated the, 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 the prophets of Baal, he had just defeated them. Jezebel uh, tried to kill him. And then Elijah ran away from Jezebel because he was afraid. And in the strength of the Lord, for 40 days and 40 nights, he, he, he churned in the desert until he came to Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai. This is the mountain where God, uh, God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. So Elijah comes to Mount Sinai, to Mount Horeb, and the Lord speaks to him and says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Why are you here? And he says, I have been zealous for you, Lord. I have fought for you. And the Israelites, they have rejected you. I'm the only one left. He says, no, you're not. I have at least 7,000 who have not bowed their knees to the Baals, to the, to the false gods. But then he puts them in this cave. And you know the story. He puts them in this cave. He protects him. And then the Lord passes by. And it says there was a loud, there was a, there's a mighty storm. The Lord was not in the storm. There was a loud earthquake. The mountains shook. The Lord was not in the earthquake. Then there was a fire storm going through, but the Lord was not in a fire. And then there was this whisper, a gentle breeze. And the Lord spoke to Elijah in the breeze, in the whisper. See, God doesn't scream at you. He whispers. He whispers into our hearts. That's the voice of God. And what we need to learn as a, a, a healthy disciple is able and capable actually to heed the voice of God, to understand God is actually speaking to me right now. Most of the time, brothers and sisters, I believe how he does that, he plants a thought in our mind. It's just a thought, something that comes, pops into your mind and say, what does this mean? What is it? Well, in Philippians, we talked about uh, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is righteous, whatever is holy. Do what? You remember? Think about such things. So you need, to, you need to analyze your thought life and say, what does this thought mean? What, what is it? But can God speak to us? Can he prompt you to do something? Well, Jim told this story just a week ago. I, I, I called Jim um, before the last service. And uh, it was Saturday. I couldn't get a hold of Dave, and so I called Jim. I was going to ask him if he could just recognize the mothers. And he, dis he, dis he doesn't have my phone number. And Jim says, I never answer phones. If I don't know the number, I will not answer the phone, basically. But I was vacuuming at home, and this thought came to my mind, Christian's going to call you. Literally, Christian's going to call you, you know? Ten seconds later, I call him on the phone. He would not have answered the phone. <laughs> I did not have that thought in many ways. And I need to get a hold of, of, of Jim in many ways. It's like, was God speaking to him? I think so. 
It's a prompting. It's a prompting. It's something that prompts you to do something. Something maybe, maybe prompts you for, to pray for a person. Maybe prompts you to go somewhere. Maybe prompts you to write a letter. Maybe prompts you to call a person. Maybe to send them a text. I don't know what it is, but God, can God actually use us? Can he prompt us to do things? Absolutely. And a healthy disciple learns to heed the voice of God, to hear the voice of God spoken to them. But we need to become open to it. It's like a story that I've told before that happened in connection with prayer. Uh, a story of a missionary who was, who was serving, I think he was in Africa, and, and, the, and the people were not receptive to the gospel. They did not respond to the gospel. And at one time, actually, as he was, was traveling uh, through the, um, what's the lane called there? The, not the savannah, jungle, whatever. He put up his tent at night, and some warriors were pursuing him because they were trying to kill him that night. And so that night, they came to the tent, and they saw his tent surrounded by these men of light, these warriors of light. And they said, whoa, we're not going to do that tonight. And so they, they retreated. Next morning, they go up to him and say, who were these guys who were with you? What guys? I didn't have anyone with me. Yeah, there were these, 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 these men of light who were with you. Oh, and so he told them the gospel, you know. As he went home, on home assignment at one point, he told this story in one of his churches, and a guy came up to him and said, when was that? I said, well, so he told him when it was, and he says, you know, that night the Lord woke me up and said, pray for him. He needs protection. And he did. Can God do that even today? Can God prompt us? Can God speak to us? If we become open, I think he can. And as a response, back in 2008, when we read this book together, my wife and I, um, I set forth for about two years on a journey where I, I just, I, I came to the conclusion, I, I want to hear God speak to me. I want to actually hear his voice speaking to me on a daily basis. And so I set forth to journal about this. I still have this journal. I looked it up at the beginning. I said, I realized that in the past few years, the issue of walking with God or actually hearing the voice of, is at the core of what I need to learn. I need to learn this. And it has also been simmering below the surface for enough time that I can no longer ignore it. Hence, I must take certain steps to learn the process, uh, learn it. There is no one at this point who can mentor me through this process, so I need to fully depend on God. Here's what I want to do. Each evening, I want to write how I experienced God during the day. How did He speak to me? How did I resist His speaking? What was going on behind the scenes of what was going on? Because sometimes God is moving, and you're not aware of it. We need to learn to become aware of what God is doing. Why did I feel a certain way, dejected, sad, listless, whatever? I need to hear from him, and I can't see any other way to make it happen. Set me forth on a journey for two years where I did this, journaling about learning to listen to God. I, I can't say it was perfect at all. I learned a lot, actually, about me. I learned a lot about how much I complain and stuff, you know. But I learned a lot. It doesn't come easy to me. Because I'm a Martha-type person, I like to do, you know? I like to be busy, and I, I struggle just to set everything aside and, and just sit at the feet of Jesus. That's Martha coming to Jesus and saying, tell Mary to help me clean up the dishes. I see the dishes are dirty, 
Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're always busy, but Mary has picked the better part. What did she do? She sat at my feet. She's listening to me. You see, we need to learn to sit at his feet. We need to learn to listen to the voice of God. How do we do this? Well, I don't know. I don't know how to go forward from here, but um, I want to just give you an open invitation. I want to go back to doing this again. Um, I started it actually in 2017. I began a journal again. Uh, I didn't get very far because nobody was holding me accountable. And I need accountability in this journey. And uh, I, I just want to give you an open invitation. Is there's one or two guys who would like to grow in their walk with God, in a sense that you would like to hear God speak to you, hear the voice of God, so that we can learn to obey the voice of God as well. There's an open invitation for us maybe to come together, to read this book by uh, John Eldridge. I'd love to read it again, actually, and learn from it again. Study together and then just begin to journal together. Help each other accountable. Help share with each other what we are learning on this journey. It's an open invitation. I'm, not, I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to throw it out there. If you feel like God is prompting you, and I think so many times how God speaks to us is through promptings. He just prompts you to do something. You can respond. You can come up to me. You can say, hey, I would be open to this. I don't actually know how we're going to go about it. We'll figure it out. It'll probably have to be a little bit later in the summer. Um, but, hey, it's an open invitation. Now, ladies, um, I think this is more for guys because I would like to work with guys. But if, I'm, sure this, we can, I'm sure if the ladies would like to do this, I don't know, Cindy or Bonnie or someone, I'm sure we can. I haven't talked to you about this, sweetie. <laughs> so I don't want to throw out your name. <laughs> but I know you. I know you well, so I think you would definitely be open to this. So Anyway, so that's an open invitation. One way we can learn to... This is discipleship one-on-one, -on -one, I believe. It's not just sitting down learning. It's actually working together, helping each other grow in the Lord. I think that's what the body is about. All right.